Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. Here we are, episode 71, and we're going to talk about the joy of van life. We'll also discuss battery prices. Believe it or not, that's some good news, too. A product review of Gator Eyes, a tale from the road involving, uh, well, a bar fight, and a place to visit that I've never been to before, but I really want to visit. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Thank you for joining me for this 71st episode of Built to Go. And if I have anything to say about it, the last episode of this show will be episode 999. That is my plan. Because of my nature, because of jobs I've had, I think I tend to be a little bit negative. And by that I mean I try to let people know what the reality is of van life. And often that means basically poo-pooing things or debunking them. Now, I literally had a job where I was supposed to evaluate claims and see if they were real or not. So that is my bias. I look at something, I'm immediately skeptical of it, and then I look for evidence to support the claims. Now, that said, I automatically go to that type of thinking whenever I'm trying to come up with a topic for the show, and I think it's time to put that all aside, go away, go over there, okay, and focus on just how freaking awesome it is to be able to build out a van and travel the country in it, or the world, or wherever you are. It is amazing, and I'm just going to talk about that for the first section of the show. Folks, if you're thinking about van life, you're going to hear me and many others talk about how Instagram isn't real. But you know what? Some of it is. Uh, Actually, a lot of it is. In fact, I would say that the spirit of van life that you see on Instagram is actually real. It's not the whole story, but it's why we're drawn to this, and it's an experience that you can have. If you have a vehicle that you travel in and you sleep in, you have freedom that a lot of people never experience in their lives. You can travel anywhere and be home. Now, this is technically true as you bring your home with you, but it's also a mindset. You start seeing things differently. Suddenly, a parking lot can become home or the side of a mountain or a beach There's no ownership with this type of home. In a way, you own everything. And that is a freeing experience that I really think we're fortunate to be able to have. You will hear me say, Instagram is not real van life. But when I say that, remember that the spirit of it can be real. And it's something we're all chasing. Also, there's a sense of security that comes with van life. You have a home. You have a home. It's in your van. You may have another home, as I do. You may have several other homes. But no matter what, if you have to go somewhere suddenly or do something unusual suddenly, like you have a friend in need and you have to go help them out and they're 18 hours away, you don't have to book a hotel. You don't have to make a reservation. You can just hop in your van and go. And you're all set. And I absolutely love that aspect of things. My van is ready to go all the time. Yeah, I mean, maybe it doesn't have food or water in it all the time, but I can add that very quickly. If there's anything that comes up, such as if there's a disaster somewhere and I'm asked to go help out with Team Rubicon, 
I'm there. I don't have to do anything other than show up. And boy, is that a great thing. It relieves a lot of the anxiety about booking hotels and seriously, the expense of booking hotels. All the nights I've spent in my van, I estimate would have cost me about $75 for a hotel because hotel prices vary greatly. It depends on where you're going to stay. But I have spent a lot of time in Vermont, which has very expensive hotels. And if I add up all that money, it's more than paid for the van. So that is an awesome aspect of van life. One aspect that's super important to me is that having a van gives me a story to tell. I visited every fake Stonehenge in the Midwest, or I had this really crazy experience where I went camping on a beach in the Midwest and all these cranes flew around. There's always a story. And if you're trying to impress people or you're having kind of a mundane conversation with somebody and it's like, oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm an accountant. Oh, what do you do? It's like, oh, well, you know, I, I built a van. I have a camper van. I live in a van. Ears perk up. Bing! And suddenly there is a huge amount of conversation to have and you have all the answers. So for people who are socially anxious like me, this can be a really great way to steer the conversation to someplace you're comfortable talking. Love it. And of course, there's an element that because of the pandemic, I have not been doing very much of, but that is meeting other van life people. Folks who gravitate towards van life in any of its varied forms do have something in common. We all want to travel and we all want to live on our own terms. Those two things seem to be pretty much ubiquitous about everybody who's doing this. And that's a really valuable thing. Now, I actually try to avoid people when I'm out on the road in my van, and that's partially due to COVID and partially due to the way my brain is wired. Being social takes an incredible amount of effort for me. And it's not that I don't like it. I absolutely do like it. And I'm hoping to be more social as things go forward. But if, if I'm on a trip where I have some deadlines and I have some things I want to do and I'm driving all day, I'm literally out of brain space. <laughs> and that's actually another nice thing is you can meet other van life folks or not. Again, things are on your terms. Whereas in everyday life, that might not be the case if you live in an apartment or a house or you have a job that you go to every day, nine to five in a brick building, etc. This one is actually not something I knew until I did it, but building out your own van and heading out in the road is a huge confidence booster. At least it was for me. I bought a van knowing a little bit about how electricity worked and having a tiny little bit of ideas. I mean, I knew how to use power tools. I knew a little bit. I had no idea I could build out a van. I had no idea that I would be able to solve all the various problems. I just hoped that things would work out. And they did. And now, well, now I'm doing a podcast telling people about this stuff. That is a level of confidence I did not know I was going to get from doing this. And so if you're somebody who thinks van life looks attractive, but thinks you can't do it for whatever reason, let me just say, do it, jump in, give it a try. <laughs> in a way you can't fail because if you try it and don't like it, you just stop doing it. It's kind of like trying blue corn ice cream. You know, you might like it, you might not. Either way, it doesn't matter. You tried it. And you might find that it actually helps you overcome some lack of confidence issues because if you are quote-unquote successful at van life, it's a big feather in your cap. And 
honestly, it will teach you that you know how to overcome adversity. And that is a huge lesson. Also, when I come back home, I am so much more appreciative of home. And in that, I mean, not only being home with my wife, which I'm always happy to get back to, but I mean, like, things like flush toilets and unlimited electricity and unlimited water and all that stuff that is so easy to take for granted. In fact, we all take that for granted when we're living in a house or a condo or whatever, that it's nice to be able to appreciate it and to kind of look in wonder at the water coming out of the faucet and just thinking, wow, isn't this amazing? Now, it never is amazing enough that I never want to get back in the van, but it is nice to kind of be able to go between both worlds and appreciate them. And changing perspective is always a good thing, in my view. And finally, being out in the van lets me be out in the world. It's like you're a part of things. You're not watching it on TV anymore. You are actually in the show. You are the show. The movie is about you and your adventures. Or at the very least, you're a spectator watching the movie, except it's not a movie, it's live. And that is awesome. And again, you get to choose that as much as you want to be. You can be a spectator or you can be a participant. It's completely up to you. So whenever you hear me saying negative things about van life, keep in mind that the overarching message and the actual reason this podcast exists is because van life is awesome in all its forms. And if you want to try it, I'm here to help you accomplish that as are many, many other people. Decide that you want to do it, and we'll help you do it together. Tech Talk. There has been some weirdness lately with battery prices. So I watch Amazon prices fairly regularly because I am actually in the market for a battery. I'm still using my two crappy temporary Harbor Freight batteries that I bought when I was just testing out the solar, I had always intended to buy a real battery, you know, at least 150 amp hour AGM or something like that. And I never did. What I have is two 35 amp hour AGM batteries from Harbor Freight, both of which I got on sale with their crazy coupons. So they were very inexpensive, but I really only bought them to test the solar. I never intended them to power the whole van, but here I am two years later and they work fine. They do everything I need. But that said, I'm still looking for another solution. And holy cow, something happened last week that Amazon has all these crazy sales on what are termed solar generators, which are neither solar nor generators, but they're basically all-in-one battery power banks that have a battery, an inverter, and a solar controller all combined into one. Like a Jackery, like a Yeti, like a Rock Pals, all those things. But... Some of the off-brand ones, the brands you've actually not heard of, had crazy coupons. So I actually bought two of them because I want to do reviews on them. And I'll tell you what I bought. Now, I don't have them yet. It's going to take a couple of weeks for them to get here. But let me just tell you these deals I found. And I'll have links in the show notes. Although, again, these deals are crazy and I don't know how long they're going to last. So the first one I bought was a Wakami. Wakami? W-A-K-Y-M-E. I don't know how you pronounce that, but it's a, it's a 520 watt hour portable power station, which is comparable to a Jackery 500 if you keep track of these things. Basically, it's a 42 amp hour system, so it's a little bit better than the system I have now because 70 amp hours of AGM really only equals 35 amp hours usable. And yeah, so 
this morning the coupon was gone and now it's back. So the list price of this thing is $4.99. That's $500. And when I click on the coupon, boop, it's a 40% off coupon. And you have to add it to cart to see the price. But holy cow, that takes that down to $299.99. It's a $200 off coupon. So you can get a Jackery 500 clone for $299.99. I mean, that is amazing. And it's not the only one. The other one I bought is another name that's hard to say. Awanfi. A-W-A-N-F-I. This is a 505 watt-hour unit. Basically the same thing. And it has a $140 coupon. And it's list price. And so this one, after the coupon, so it's 376 After the coupon, which is $140, it's $236 for a 505-watt-hour unit. That's a 500-watt unit. Folks, this is a great deal. Uh, and again, I don't know that how long this is going to last. So what I'm suggesting is you can check, click on my links if you want. There were affiliate links. I get a little bit of money for that. That's all great. But there's something going on where these units are incredibly cheap. Again, the Rock Pals, which is an actual name that I've heard of. It's, you know, a real one. Their 500 unit is $324.99. So, hey, if you've been looking at a modestly sized power unit this might be the time, and I don't know why this is. I don't know if there's a whole new line of new chemistry batteries coming. I, I really don't. But I bought a couple. I'm going to review them. I'll let you know how they are, and maybe they'll be cheaper next week. I don't know. Product review. You know what's nice is when you go to your mailbox and there's something there that you don't recognize. And this one had that sticker on it that says, contains lithium batteries. And I was like, ooh, what's this? So somebody sent me a very nice thing, and I think I know who it is, but I'm not entirely sure, and it's called Gator Eyes. And that fancy name refers to basically an alligator clip with a flashlight in it. Actually, it's a package of five. So imagine this, an alligator clip. You know what an alligator clip is, right? We used to use them as roach clips in high school way back in the day. Anyway, they're, they're usually metal. This one happens to be plastic and it's a little jaw that looks like an alligator, and it, it's used a lot of electrical work to make temporary connections. Uh, jumper cables have giant alligator clips on them, if you want to think of that. So imagine a much smaller version that has a little flashlight on it. They can go anywhere and give you light. There are four different ways to connect these things. One is that it can stick in the ground like a stake. So imagine you're backing into a campground and there's a picnic table in the way and you can't really see it in your mirrors. You could run out with one of these things and stick it in the ground on the picnic table and have it light up or make a trail because there are five of them. You could actually make a trail to follow in the woods with them. Anyway, that's just one way. Another way is obviously the alligator clip. You can clip it to the brim of your hat or you can actually just clip it to your hair like a barrette. That actually works. Or there's a rare earth metal magnet on it. So let's say you have to work on your engine. Well, you can pop your hood and then stick one or two or three or four or five of these to your hood and light up your engine. And one end of the alligator clip has a little hook too. So you can actually just hook it on something. And in that rare case where there's nowhere to hang it or stick it or anything like that, you can put a piece of tape in a little bit of a loop and then alligator clip onto that tape. So like a piece of masking tape, you can take it off. Anyway, super versatile, 
very bright light, and according to the literature, it will last for a couple of days, so it'll last a while. No, it's not rechargeable. No, you can't replace the batteries. But these things cost about two bucks a piece. You buy them in a pack of five for like 11 bucks, unless you're a hunter. Here's an interesting thing. If you're a hunter, they market these as lights for marking blood trails. And that means you shoot a deer, but you don't kill it, and it runs away, and it leaves a blood trail. Apparently, you're supposed to take these lights and, like, mark the blood. I don't know why you'd want to do that. But if you do want to do that, you have to pay more. The ones that are labeled as blood trail markers cost more. So I'll have a link in the show notes of the ones that I have. They're cheaper. I don't know. Marketing's a strange world for me. Anyway, I think these things are a great thing to have in a van. I can think of dozens and dozens of places to use them in glove boxes, in refrigerators, under the van, under the hood. I do have a couple of cons for them. Apparently, these are actually brand new, designed by a couple of guys in Ames, Iowa, and I think it's brilliant. But for their next version, I would like them to do two things. One is I would like them to make the teeth a little bitier. I think they were a little less aggressive on the teeth of the alligator clips to make them safer, but they don't bite as well as they could. Metal ones would actually bite better. These are plastic. The other thing is, is that there is a pin that acts as the hinge in the alligator clips, and if you use the clips a lot, that pin kind of backs out, and I think eventually it's going to fall out. So I just make sure to push it back in before I use them. Anyway, gator eyes. Yet another flashlight thing. I know I'm kind of enamored with flashlights, and they are super cheap right now, but this one does things that I have never seen done before. So, I like them, I recommend them, and thanks very much to whomever sent them to me. Maybe it was Gatorize. I don't know. Open offer. Anything anyone wants to send me, I will gratefully accept and do a review on, and it will be an honest review. And you can even send it to me and ask me to send it back to you. That's cool. I just want you to pay for the shipping. (laughs) A place to visit. And again, like I said, this is a place I've never been before, but it is on my list of places to visit. In fact... Depending on when they're open, I may visit them sooner rather than later. I feel like I've talked about this before, and just a quick note, at 72 episodes, the chances of me repeating myself, uh, it's increasing, and I am going to be okay with that. I used to work for James the Amazing Randy, a magician of great fame who sadly died last year, and he would tell stories that were amazing. And sometimes he'd tell them more than once or twice. And because he was actually a big famous guy, he didn't actually know who he told the stories to. So working for him and being around him all the time, I got to hear stories quite a few times. And it never mattered. And I'm hoping it doesn't matter to you. So if I've already talked about this, I'm sorry. I'm going to talk about it again. That just means I like it that much. I'm talking here about Dismal's Canyon. Dismal's. D-I-S-M-A-L-S. Like as in dismal. Yes, this is a place that sounds awful, but is truly fascinating. And I know that even though I haven't been here, I've been to a place just like it in New Zealand. This is a home to dismalites. What are dismalites, you ask? Well, it's an excellent question. Dismalites are a species of fungus net. (laughs) I promise this will get interesting soon. The larvae live exclusively in areas like caves, damp areas, very dark areas, and they feed on confused moths. It's coming, I promise. They basically drool out a long string of mucus. (laughs) It's coming, I promise. And the moths get caught in the mucus, and then the dismalites kind of suck that up and enjoy their lunch. 
and you might wonder why I want to see that. Well, that's all ancillary to the really cool thing. They attract the moths by glowing. And the glow of these things is the most exquisite light blue color that I have ever seen. I have literally had dreams about this color. They're not really social, but they're definitely congregal. And they congregate on cave walls and ceilings and maybe even trees. And if you go at night, it looks like you're walking through a galaxy. Now, they tend to be high enough that you don't have to worry about the mucus part. You're not going to touch these things. You're not even going to see what they look like. All you're going to see are the lights, and they are beautiful. Unfortunately, they're super hard to take pictures of. I tried. I saw these things in both islands of, in New Zealand, North Island and South Island, once in a cave and once in a forest. I tried really hard to take pictures, but... You're talking about a relatively dim light in otherwise complete pitch blackness. A super hard thing to take a picture of if you're not a professional, and I am not a professional. Anyway, Dismal's Canyon is in northwest Alabama. It is the only place in the U.S. that I know of where you can see these things, and they have a tour. You can just go see them. And it's been hard with COVID and everything, but they're going to open again this year. In fact, it looks like they might be open now. Yes. Now, I, I promised that I would start saying this. Places to visit, I don't automatically know if they have van parking or not. This place does allow camping on weekends for a fee. So if you wanted to do that, you could. It's a nice foresty part of Alabama, so that would be cool. But I'm sure there's places to camp nearby because it's, it's fairly rural. You wouldn't have too much trouble. So it looks like they're open right now. So... I might do this next week. And if I do do this next week, while I won't be able to take video and photos, most likely, I will be able to audio record my experience. So maybe that'll be next week's Tale of the Road. We'll see. I can't promise anything yet. It's only 12 bucks. If you go at night with a guide, it's only 10 bucks. So that might actually be the way to do it. Anyway, I'll have links in the show notes if you have no idea what I'm talking about or you're fascinated by this idea of insect life imitating galaxies in the woods, as I am. But yes, Dismal's Canyon in northwestern Alabama is on my list of places to see, and I think it should be on yours, too. Resource recommendation. I am part of a Facebook group called Nomadic Pantry, and it's really actually kind of fun. It's not the biggest group in the world, but it's just a bunch of people who've gotten together and talk about cooking in vans, different recipes, different ways to cook, how you clean up, all that kind of stuff. And it's really nice. And the creator of the group, whose name is Shonda, has created a podcast that is related to the group. And it's a new podcast. It's just finding its legs. I don't even think it's on Apple Podcasts yet, but I'll have a link in the show notes no matter what. It's called Nomadic Pantry, as you might imagine. And it's basically 15 minutes, half an hour of Shonda talking about a specific area of van life involving food. For example, she has an episode about eggs where she talks in great detail about eggs and how to store them safely in vans. And me, being someone who used to raise chickens and knows a lot about eggs, I learned a lot from Shonda. So she knows what she's talking about. A recent episode she talks about is how to eat healthy at truck stops, which completely is something I can relate to. So these are not super professional polished podcasts. Shonda has a policy of not editing because the editing would actually get in her way of getting these episodes out. And I'm totally cool with that. 
I want the content. So if that sounds like something you'd like, I'll have a link in the show notes, but the show is called Nomadic Pantry, and it's a great little addition to your van life. Tales from the Road. This week we have a guest who was kind enough to send me a story and he recorded it himself and he talks about a a little situation he got himself in. So let's hear about that. Hi there, it's John Knowlton with A Tale from the Road. My first bar fight happened the week after I turned 21. Thankfully, it was my last bar fight too. In 1990, my friend Pat and I cooked up a three-week motorcycle trip. We packed our saddlebags with plastic tarps, sleeping bags, and a toothbrush. The route took us south from Michigan to visit friends in Tennessee, then west along Interstate 40 through Arkansas, Oklahoma, northern Texas, and finally to Albuquerque. The temperature reached about 106 degrees Fahrenheit in Albuquerque, where we visited friends. That evening, we drove west a couple of hours and climbed several thousand feet of elevation. In the morning, there was frost on our sleeping bags. We spent a week in California visiting Yosemite, Morro Rock, Redwood Forests, and the coast. Eventually, we worked our way back to the Midwest along Interstate 80. On the eastern edge of Nebraska, there is a triangle of land between the Platte and the Missouri Rivers. Omaha is a major city there, but before you hit Omaha is the little town of Gretna. The current population is about 5,000 people, but 30 years ago it was around 2,000. Pat and I stopped for dinner at a tavern. Being midweek, the patrons were mostly regulars and career drinkers, and they seemed really happy for some fresh ears to tell their stories to. Ten minutes into an explanation of how automotive paints are colored, a man in his 30s came in and started yelling at the female bartender. Well, she gave back as good as she got, and things escalated. Since neither of them could win the war of words, the man picked up a chair and threw it over the bar at the woman. The chair smashed into the wine glasses and the martini glasses that were hanging upside down over the bar, sending shards of glass all over the place. The man ran out, and the bartender started cleaning up. Pat and I thought this might be a good time to get out. But the regulars were adamant that we stay. They had more exciting stories to share with us. One of them said, Hey, don't worry. This happens all the time. So we scooted out to our boondock campsite, and that's the story of my first bar fight. Well, John, I have to say that I also would have found discretion to be the better part of valor in that situation, and uh, yes, would have beaten a hasty retreat, and isn't it nice that we can just take our homes with us whenever we need to? So thank you, John, for sharing that. I absolutely appreciate it, and I'm sure our listeners did too. Okay, one little news item that isn't so little... In Texas, the Texas Senate, that is the Senate that represents the state of Texas, not the U.S. Senate, is looking at a bill that will criminalize RV parking. And that means no van life in Walmart, no overnights on the side of the road. Basically, if the police find you sleeping in your van, they can charge you with a crime. Whether this bill is going to pass or not is up for debate. 
And it's ultimately an anti-homelessness bill where they're trying to drive homeless people out of certain communities. There is a ton of commentary to be had on this. My only role here is to let you know that this is happening and that this bill exists. And if you are a legal resident of Texas and have an opinion on this, you might want to weigh in now before any kind of voting happens. There's a link in the show notes to the bill, or you can just search on Proposed Texas Senate Bill Criminalizes RV Parking Overnight. This could be a dangerous thing. I'm hoping it's not, but it's something we should definitely pay attention to. The Aurora Project. This week, I will be heading on the road to hit my first three Auroras of the second time around. I'll be hitting Aurora, Kentucky, Aurora, Texas, and Aurora, Missouri. And as I mentioned earlier about the Dismalites, I was able to schedule a tour of the Dismalites, so I'm going to do that too. So I've got a whole ton of content coming, both in the podcast and and for YouTube. Just to give you a sneak peek here... Aurora, Texas has the distinction of being a place where an alien crash-landed and was given a Christian burial in the cemetery. I will be visiting that. Aurora, Kentucky once had a black-only public resort, and it was seen as a very progressive way of dealing with racial issues. I'm going to visit that as well. And Aurora, Missouri... Well, let's just say they've had a very interesting and maybe a little bit dark history, and we'll be poking at that a little bit. So that's what's coming up on the Aurora Project. I am going to be driving 2,500 miles in just a few days, and I will be recording the podcast from the van. So if you're into lower quality audio, it's coming your way. Thanks once again for listening to episode 71. As I was editing this, I realized that I probably recorded this episode under the influence of too much caffeine. So um, I apologize. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. If you'd like to get in touch with me, I am Jeff at builttogo.com. That's two T's, not three, not one. Or you can find me on the Discord server or in our Facebook group or just down the road. Until next time, remember the quote I saw carved into a mantelpiece in New York. We like all flowers, most dogs, and some people.